0: Music producer, musician, and DJ, Blake Robbins first came to L.A. with a deal to write pop hits. He quickly discovered his destiny was not in pop, but rather to embrace a combo of 80s influenced music. He quickly found a following of fans who would buy his tracks on vinyl. With his TikTok channel, he goes inside the song as a storyteller of the moving parts of the music. He curates the Spotify dance playlist, Good Morning Disco, with new and innovative disco artists. Today, he talks with show host Kim O'Hara about musicology, curation, and whatever else they cook up in this dynamic interview. But first, a quick snippet of one of his mixes.
1: Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. I'm your host, Kim O'Hara, a book coach with a story inside, and I am interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life with a story to tell. Do these folks have a best-selling book in them? Stick around and find out. It's so great to have you on the show, Blake. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: My pleasure, great to be here, Kim. Thanks for having me.
1: We have a lot to talk about, so let's just jump into it. So every song has a story and on your TikTok channel, you dissect songs and you go really, you know, you go deep inside them. Would you call yourself a musicologist or would you call yourself a journalist?
0: I mean, that's the question. I am a musician by training. I'm mostly a musician up until two years ago, in fact, exclusively a musician. So I would say that I'm a musicologist who, because what I make, what I actually musicologize is in a public space, especially, you know, videos that I post on TikTok and Instagram, suddenly it kind of crosses the line where, especially when there are true stories, I'd like them to be as true and factual as possible. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm actually doing reporting, journalistic investigation. I'm kind of mostly telling stories that are out there and piecing it together in a new way. But it absolutely crossed, to me, especially with a breaking case like the Dua Lipa one that just came out, since in real time, I'm kind of having opinions, I'm giving my musicological opinion and breaking it down, while the case is unfolding, it absolutely has, in certain cases, been kind of journalism.
1: <laughs> so you look at songs like, you know, we, we, we've talked about this, Nirvana, you know, Something in the Way, and you discover the mm. isolated parts, which I have now learned are stems, OK? So right. I've learned something new. Like, where, where do you decide which songs you're going to dive into? I mean, there's a million songs to dissect. Is this a personal preference?
0: That's really the hardest part. It's mostly personal preference. It's a little bit from the canon, I would say. like, I tend to pick songs that are classic, very well-known, big songs of the past, pop songs, I should say, of the past 50 years. And we all know, I think intuitively, but pop music in the 60s was the Beatles. You know what I mean? So pop music doesn't always mean... Uh, I think when you think about it now, you think it's what teenagers listen to. Well, back then, teenagers listened to the Beatles. So it's the Beatles, it's the Stones, it's Queen, but it's also it's Madonna and Duran Duran. So it tends to be from the canon of classic top 40 material. But also there's the overlying threat um, overlay of I have to like this song. Like um, people are <laughs> right. always DMing me saying, can you do this? Can you do that? I'm like, you know, not the biggest Ed Sheeran fan. There's a lot of lawsuits we can talk about. I'm just not in the mood to spend that much time listening to his work, to have to dissect it. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's definitely a lot of personal preference goes into it.
1: Right. And then we talked about the Foo Fighters, which is interesting because that's my favorite band. And then you talked about Everlong and you were like, when we were talking, you're like, yeah, you know, it's the song is about, you know, how he was leaving his wife. I'm like, I had no idea that's what the song was about. I feel like, and do you find this like, so many people listen to songs on a very surface level and assume it's like a love song or assume it's like, you know, a breaking, like breaking out of my like raucous identity (laughs) song. And it's completely different than what they thought it was. How often do you find that?
0: That's a really, it's a really great, great question. And I would say that I find that people listen to music very differently and they're listening for different things. I, for example, am from the classic tradition of people that can hear a song for 30 years and never notice the lyrics because I'm just sort of listening <laughs> sonically to the, the whole like the gestalt of the sound for the three or four minutes of, of the experience. It's And so much actually is conveyed by the choice of, by musical choices that the lyrical content is often not as important. Like you think you're hearing something, but you're actually hearing something else a lot of times that's maybe the specifics of a lyric but you kind of got the message you kind of got the vibe in because it was a heavy guitar song or because it was kind of a a dancey song and it's kind of a sexy vocal even if you couldn't hear what the vocal was so Mm -hmm. a lot of times if not maybe even most of the time the emotional content of the song the, the musical content is where the storytelling lies and by the way prior to recorded music having vocals you know the history of beethoven and bach a lot of those songs or chorales or have vocals but for the most part we think of classical music there's not a lot of vocals going on you know not in the fifth at least in the ninth yes but in beethoven's fifth not a lot of vocals
1: and you're t- you're t- and you're talked to through the ascent of the various orchestrated music there's actually right. like a lyrical story that's being told through not even having lyrics so Correct. how does having this knowledge of How songs are broken down, stems. How does that affect you as creating music? Like, do you have any discoveries of music that you've been like, oh, I'm really disappointed by that? Or it has enthralled you (laughs) and motivated you? (laughs) How sad does music make you, Blake? (laughs) That's a funny
0: question. I like that question. I'm I'm thinking about it. I would say that I, I would say that generally my attitude about music making and music appreciation is very, open like i i kind of would r- would bristle at the idea of things like guilty pleasures and all these kinds of ways of thinking about it, or or even mistakes you know part of the joy of my stem collection i do collect multi-track stems so i have the isolated vocals and drums and bass and guitar from like simon and garfunkel sound of silence you know and, and 999 more part of the joy of that is listening and hearing the imperfections hearing mm-hmm. like literally garfunkel it's he's not quite hitting darkness. <laughs> it's the it's the harmony, hello, darkness, my old friend. He's he's slightly, slightly off in such a way that today it would be tuned within an inch of its life. But in 1960, whatever, eight, seven, when the song came out, that was first of all not possible to do, but it didn't doesn't detract from the song in any way. It's still a classic. So as a fan and a musician. It is heartening, if anything, to hear how the history of recorded music is filled with human moments and little clams, as they would be called, like mistakes, musical mistakes or production errors. It's, if anything, heartening to know that we don't have to be perfect. And in fact, some of the most interesting songs and moments are often because there was an unexpected event or, or incorrect note or something that gave it humanity that gave it the imperfect quality that it's the wabi sabi right the Japanese concept of in the perfection there's a little dab of imperfection.
1: Yes I love that and in fact I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole the other day I don't even know how I ended up watching Phil Collins performing on Live Aid uh, against all odds but I got captivated by this because he makes a mistake in the very beginning he plays the wrong note on the piano and kind of makes a face and i loved it i played it yeah. over and over again <laughs> because it made it so real i'm like he is in front of how many people went to live aid right millions and he just like makes a mistake as an artist and i was like that was i found it so beautiful yeah. that that he was so good at what he did and yet he still was able to Make an error, and it made the song so totally. real versus and, this and, canned this canned right. radio version.
0: I was going to say, and it proves that it's real. That's actually something I found as a live performer, and it took me a minute to get there because I'm a Virgo and I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And um, <laughs> you know, some very early shows that I played, when there would be a moment where something wasn't quite quite right, and it would stress me out as like the band leader or person in charge. And I would, it, there's a, a friend of mine who was my former keyboard player, Anu. I'll give him a shout out. I just remember him kind of helping me understand that that made the audience feel more connected, that it gave them, with all the rest of the like lights and we were in costumes and I had dancers, I had a whole, my first ever show was this big to-do. But the <laughs> fact that there was something in there that wasn't all a big to-do made it more relatable, I think. It makes it more easier to connect with something. If it's all perfect, if it's all pro-tooled, like I was saying with the vocals, it's harder to connect.
1: It's really hard to connect. I tend to like ariana grande but i have friends who are like get that shit away from me like it's yeah. so canned there's so many layers of her music i tend yeah. to like her music but yeah. anyway i can understand from that point that point of view that it's so there's nothing wrong with that music although i'd be surprised yeah. you probably could find if you dug hard enough a mistake in one of ariana grande's songs
0: it's possible. I do have a lot of stems for modern things. And it is often difficult to find moments that aren't tooled within an inch inter- of, of, of its life for the sake of tuning perfectly, etc. But there are also, you know, again, I'm, I'm a songwriter producer by day, this is my studio. And when I came to LA, it was to do this professionally. And I would be I had a, a publishing deal, which meant that every day I would meet with a different songwriter and we would sometimes for the first time ever, sit down to write a song. The goal was to leave with a song written, at least at the beginnings of one. And one thing that is, I do understand happens in the industry, because you do have to think of that role. Most people don't know it exists, the professional songwriter. It's like the professional screenwriter. So this is how pop music is made. There's a team of people and they meet in their homes, like in this one. And so what I was going to say, though, is that in the process, what tends to happen is, okay, you write the song, you record it. And one of the last steps usually is kind of um, kind of uh, an ad lib track. So everything's kind of like, okay, we wrote the verses, we, we, we got the chorus, we got the harmony stacks, everything's sounding wonderful. Now I'm just gonna hit play and record and I'll give you a track where from beginning to end, whatever comes into your head, just like go crazy. And I have definitely noticed in pop music that's on the radio, whether or not I get the stems. I can tell when it's that fun track. I can tell where they did something that wasn't overthought. You know what I mean? Like that right. is a moment of pure spontaneity. The beginning of the process is pure spontaneity. Hey, blah, blah, blah. Just coming up with ideas. Do you like this melody? Let's write some lyrics to it at the end. And then you work really hard and grind for the next 95%. And then the last 5% is, you know what? Have fun again. Just put down whatever. And, and so often real gems come out of that.
1: That's really cool. That's wonderful for people that don't know the process at all. And you've been such a part of that from, you know, creating pop songs and coming to LA to do that. So you also have a Spotify channel, Good Morning Disco, which has these, you know, beautiful, like intoxicating tracks. They're all danceable. And I know they're on your brand luxury with the two X's, which I love. Mm -hmm. How have you found those tracks? Like what is the process of you understanding which artists to feature?
0: Well, part of the fun of having, uh, I guess, part of my musical identity is, is a songwriter and producer and the artist known as Luxury. So that's, that's what I was referring to earlier, the Forza Horizon songs, and I have got albums on vinyl, um, but I also am a DJ, which is kind of a separate part of the musical brain where you're, you're a selector, you are choosing, you're creating a mood. You're, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm in Mexico City, Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, I went to Mexico five, six times a year and really fun clubs in Tulum and Mexico City. And I'm hoping to go back soon. But, you know, if it's Tulum on a Saturday afternoon, that's different from Mexico City on a Friday night. So it's you're setting the vibe, you're setting the tone, your geography matters a little bit too. You know, sometimes it's a cool club, quote unquote, sometimes it's not. So part of the DJ part of my brain is just over time kind of being like, This tempo, you know, this is kind of a like 3 p.m. tempo. This tempo is a 3 a.m. tempo and it's it's all the way down the line. It's tempo. It's um, the production. Is it a a female singer? Is it a male singer? Um, Is the song a simple thing that is repeated and kind of comes and goes like a dub? Or is it a full wall to wall vocal song with verses and choruses? And you'll never not hear somebody singing it. So part of the fun of the DJ part of my brain um, which maybe you can hear in the passion and, and how I'm answering your question as I am I'm yes. get back to it. I I'm, I want to go back <laughs> to Mexico. It's been two years um, is, you know, it's not something that's um,
1: you're building it's a little ineffable.
0: Lists. It's a little ineffable. Well, you're
1: taking them on a journey. You know, right. like that's what I felt when I listened to your Spotify list is if I was at a club, you know, and I haven't seen a lot of named DJs of Paul Oakenfeld and um, You know, uh, when you go to Mexico, let me know. Like, I, I I, love traveling for DJs, but like, it it does feel like they're taking you on like a storyline or a journey right. with someone else's music. You have some tracks on there. And so, and I noticed that the, I didn't listen to a lot of them, I listened to a couple. They're not incredibly lyric heavy, right? So when you're yeah. writing a song, how do you decide like, I'm going to be sparse with my lyrics. How do you decide? Like, what's the line that I want to land to tell a, people?
0: It, yeah, I'm, that's a great question. I would say that I, my first album, which I'll show it to you. This is my my first album for all you, for all the listeners and podcast. Phil, it's um, it's called. It's, he's whole, he's, he's, he,
1: if you can't, if you're listening to us on Apple, or what playing, It's he yeah. he he's in a white suit with a massive. Is that a condor?
0: <laughs> it's it's what? some sort of it's some it's sort of large bird.
1: It's bald eagle.
0: Yeah. So these these are I all love songs. Love the bird
1: and, references.
0: I, I kind of like to have fun with keeping some of my music on different platforms. So it's not on Spotify, but these songs are on YouTube, and there's videos for all of them, and I'm quite proud of them. And they all are more lyrically driven. In fact, these are the wall okay. to wall. I've got a song about Terry Richardson, the sleazy photographer, called Terry Richardson. A song called The Last Seduction. I was kind of doing a more synth pop based project, and then when I started, I, I got "quote unquote" famous because I started making edits with those stems I mentioned. And then I'm showing another thing to only only you, Kim. But this is me in the Wall Street Journal. This is the the day my mom started to understand what I do because the Wall Street Journal wrote about my edits, and specifically an edit. If you can see, there's a like a, a, a claw that's been a cat that is clawed through Hotel California. The next day after I was in the journal with this picture of Hotel California being ripped to shreds, you know, kind of a visual metaphor for my having remixed the song, Don Henley tried to sue me. So, oh, my
1: God.
0: Long story short, I, I'm okay going to make it. Can't talk about the, what happened, you know, out of court, but all is well. But it was the beginning of my DJ career. And um, I started making my next batch of original music that you're alluding to. Is more like the remixes that I had been making, where it is more sparse because on the dance floor, depending on the sort of night and the kind of vibe. But for disco in Mexico, like the kind of stuff that I've been doing, the daytime disco, or it's uh, it's a lot more about repetition and about more of a, about creating a vibe with repetition and fewer elements that kind of come in and come out. So that's how my more recent songs have been as
1: well. I love that. I love that. So we talk about writing books on this podcast and you are a writer. So if you were going to write a book, what would you write a book about?
0: To me, the most interesting thing and the connective tissue in all of this is the stories of how stuff gets made. I'm obsessed with inspiration, influence, obviously interpolation. I'm the TikTok guy (laughs) who whispers that. It's funny how in the last year and a half, that's become like what i'm known for i was just on german french tv they came into the studio and interviewed me and like half of the episode is about is me whispering interpolation and then they show examples of it so i'm obsessed with where and also where that line is where something goes from being inspiration is normal i would argue that all things that are made and written and movies and books have some sources behind them that you could point to or perhaps they're being hidden because the author is worried about being considered a fraud or you know but there, there's a spectrum of how the degree to which influences and inspirations are on somebody's sleeve or credited or even paid for and mm-hmm. there is it is a hundred percent of the time though uh the case that stuff that gets made had stuff prior to it that inspired or influenced or at least there's a little bit of a connection there so the book that I would write would absolutely be about that topic and probably be pretty similar to these videos in that it'd be on a song by song basis but Mm -hmm. you know in the book format there's the opportunity to to not be confined to the 60 seconds of course right and that's where some of the stories like I have probably a hundred you know in my notes like TikToks I've started to write that I haven't shot yet because they're too complicated so the Mm -hmm. ones about like Oh, gosh, the Malcolm McLaren connections. That's its own book. Malcolm McLaren was the Sex Pistols manager, and then he managed Adam and the Ants. But then he stole the ants from Adam Ant, and he formed the band Bow Wow Wow. And then he did this hip hop record. There's like none. And then he did the original Vogue song that Madonna a little bit ripped off. So there's a whole there's a chapter about Malcolm McLaren that I can't fit into one video about Malcolm McLaren.
1: That that's that sounds amazing. Well, I was gonna say also on um, people like using other people's stuff. You know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and I think like people forget that, and like yeah. they're they're so right. off and running and trying to like get a buck off of suing somebody who is just like inspired by them. And I think it's sad that like our artistry has gone that way, you know, and I oh, was in the film business yeah. for a long time and people were always scared of someone stealing their stuff. And I'm like, don't, you know, I'm like, don't flatter yourself. No one's trying to steal your stuff. Your well, stuff and it's also it's I also
0: inherently <laughs> it's also inherently hypocritical. I'd say the the dynamic that's tricky about all of this is that it's hypocritical. I completely agree. I wish there was no I wish copyright law was dismantled and rebuilt from the ground up to be more equitable. But the flip side of it is that there tends to be certain c- creators that are left to the side tend to be people of color or women or people with less power. So mm. crediting becomes important when you remember that when there, if there is no credit at all given. you know, Jamaica is a very interesting case study in this because Jamaica up until 1993 had no copyright laws. So all oh, of wow. the classic reggae, the Bob Marley and beyond, going back to Rocksteady and ska in the 60s, what's fascinating is it's wonderful as a fan because if you like a song, there's 50 more versions of that song because the producer would literally take the rhythm, like the the song, the music underneath the vocal and would just reuse it over and over again, not paying the musicians, often not even paying the artists. And it makes for a wonderfully fertile creative of the catalog of if you're a fan as I am of of 70s roots, reggae and dub, there's endless amounts of music to listen to. You'll never hear all of it. But the flip side of it is there was maybe $50 to be made on the day that those drummers and bass players made 10 songs and they got paid $50 for life. So there was no ownership or IP there. So Mm -hmm. that dynamics really interesting to me how on the one hand, Eliminating copyright would create this world where everyone's reusing everything in incredible ways that benefits the listener, but the flip side of it is what I've just described it doesn't we would need to have some kind of safeguard to ensure creators would get paid as well
1: right right well that is that, yeah I mean that's incredible I had no I, I had no idea who, who knew right and that's what you're right. here for is to it, That's my job my job is to, is to, job. Is to illuminate <laughs> us so one piece of advice that you would give anyone who wants to be a dj or a music producer what would you tell them in this day and age
0: aye, aye, aye. piece of advice well i mean this is the kind of thing that you stay it and people roll their eyes and even 20 years ago me would roll my eyes but honestly every time i've tried to write a hit based on what was popular in the moment you know i mentioned before when i came to la it was to sit in a room with strangers and try to write hits so I'm already kind of not in the mindset of, well, this, is, this isn't my art. This is for somebody else. But even then, I was not able to find the part of myself that enjoyed that or was good at it. So I would say the advice would be, be true to yourself. Again, there's where the eye rolling comes in. Everybody says that, but it's true. Like, make things that you would want to hear more than things you think people want. I mean, that's it. it like, that little right. nugget right there is everything. If you don't That's like it, it you're going to have a catalog filled of crap that probably won't connect with anybody anyway. Mm-hmm. And if you like it, but nobody else does, one person likes it and it's you. <laughs> so That's right. win-win. That's
1: right. That's right. Be unique to yourself and your artistry and you can't possibly lose. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, I really appreciate it. And I, I've been mesmerized by the changing lights in the back. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. It's been fun talking to you. All, All right. Nice. Have a good one.
0: All right.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe or review on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, Spotify, and Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts.